0: Our, our children, or all of us really, crave being understood. Somebody should just listen to me and understand. And I have to say that there's, how do I say this? That there's very little of it in our world. I don't, I wish there was more of it.
1: Hi, I'm Rivke Silver. And I'm Alex Buxcher. And this is Deep Meaningful Conversations, powered by Meaningful Minutes, the podcast where we explore the complexities,
2: nuances, and joys of being a from woman. Thanks for joining us today on today's episode of DMC. We know that there are a lot of incredible Jewish podcasts out there. We listen to them too, and we have our favorites. Mm-hmm. But thank you for choosing to listen to
1: ours today. Yes, thank you. And it's actually, it's really incredible to me to see the ranking charts. Yes, there are podcast ranking charts, (laughs) things that you learn when you start a podcast, right? (laughs) Um, the one to check is Chartables, top Apple podcasts in U.S. Judaism if you want to see all the Jewish ones. Um, and you'll see that the majority of the top 10 to 15 Jewish podcasts are actually produced by from Jews. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Um, and we're so grateful to our listener base that we are ranked in the top 15 when we release new our new episodes. It's very, it's just, it's humbling and gratifying and also it's just, it's a nice feeling. So thanks to each of you for being here today. You are helping us. Get out there.
2: Yes, yes, thank you. So, in terms of today's episode, we're talking about parenting. And we once did a mini DMC on parenting. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Was that? Fun. Yeah. It's actually it was one of my favorite mini DMCs that we've done. Um, but we knew as moms, we it was really time that we devoted an entire episode to parenting, which we haven't done on DMC yet until today.
1: Ba-bum. <laughs> <laughs> For us moms, parenting is. All-encompassing, all-consuming. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not like a helicopter mom mm-hmm. or a snowplow mom or any of the, you know, snowplow, snowplow mom. Plow That's mom. the other
2: one that I was thinking about. I can't remember the name. Paving the way, Taking all of the
1: obstacles out exactly. of their path, exactly. <laughs> Uh, any of the types of types of moms that you know you're not quote unquote supposed to be. Um, so at the bare minimum, we are tasked with keeping our offspring alive. For, that's what I always like say when like we were going on vacation, was watching our kids. Just keep them alive. It's right. fine. That's that's your requirements. Okay. <laughs> Everything else is like you know bonus. It is true. Yes. It's Not a small feat. <laughs> Correct. Especially with you know some of the more adventurous boys, the um, or girls, whatever. Um, anyways, but is more than just keeping them alive. Obviously, we also want to facilitate our children's emotional, spiritual, psychological psychological physical social mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. academic growth Ooh, that's it's, a lot it is a lot it's a tall order and and we don't want to we very much don't want to hinder the growth and development with our mistakes missteps and those full-blown fails mm. that we have all experienced mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> the, thing, the thing when you do it and you're like this is literally the example they have in the parenting book of what not to do and here i am <laughs> doing causing <it>. irrevocable
2: <laughs> damage to my child I actually just had this conversation with my oldest daughter, how um, I acknowledged her that I had, I really felt like I'd made a, a, a particular mistake with a certain aspect of, of Tineas when she was growing up and how like, I totally see how I'm sort of compensating for that and how I'm raising <laughs> my younger daughter. And we had this nice open conversation about this and my oldest was, remembered this mistake. She actually, we talked about it and she then assured me that it was okay
1: that's so nice. Yes. She's like, I remember you did that, but like it, it really didn't didn't affect me negatively. <laughs> that's inc- that's It that was oh, so really nice. to have older children who can like have these conversations with I, you. That's phenomenal. Can I just
2: say something? Like for sure there are other more intense emotional trauma possibly that they have, <laughs> but like those conversations would be actually painful to have. But at least with this one, Check. Exactly, we take what we can get. You yes. Know? Oh my God. So, you know, obviously, I'm sure there are plenty of other mistakes that, you know, that I may have had. It, it, it can be very depressing when we focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least, like, I just want to acknowledge that, and this is something that we discuss in this upcoming interview that, you know, the task of parenting it's just it's so universal it's so human we're so not alo- a- a- alone it's it, we talk about like how parenting is some like some i always say like i, I never really experienced anger before parenting how ridiculous <laughs> now it's like it's it's the ultimate like incubator for our own personal mito development there's just no question uh, that's, uh, and we're all so going well. through it
1: exactly you know it's interesting i was just listening to yadav Davidwitz's um co- uh, a deeper meaning a deeper conversation podcast and she had mentioned about how like, Hashem made it in the world that we have children when we ourselves are kind of children oh you're yeah. so young yeah. and like we don't know what we're doing and like we just it, this is the way he made it it's yes. not a mistake that he didn't like give children to like fully formed and actualized and huh. in touch with themselves and great self-regulation uh, like we're just learning as we go and that's yeah. why Hashem made it it's not a mistake that's great so that, that also makes me feel better about myself when I'm having a moment <laughs> <laughs> So there's there's so much to say about parenting and so many directions we can take with this DMC. We decided that we wanted to feature Bleemi Heller on this episode of DMC because Alex and I both learned about her on social media and we're both really inspired by the ideas that she shares there. Her focus is uh, her account is called Unconditional Parenting, and what really captured my attention when I first like came across her account was um, the the way that she does some of her posts is that she would take like a similar like behavioral theme. And she would give examples of how the behavior could look at certain ages, like starting at like a two-year-old and then like a six-year-old and then like a 12-year-old and like even through like young adults and to show that like how certain behaviors can manifest themselves within these different developmental stages and how the way we respond as parents can elicit different reactions. And so like often she'll start with kind of like the the knee-jerk reactions that we have, you know, when we're not parenting unconditionally or whatever and kind of how that doesn't always work out so well. And then the next the next post that she'll do will have like with like the quote unquote better way of responding and then how that creates different results. And I just thought it was like such a compelling way of presenting the mm. information. And like this is, yeah, this is what can normally happen, but this is why you might want to consider changing. And here's what can happen if you do this different strategy. This is what can be the result. And I love that it was like back to back and I love that it was like these examples over the course of like a child's life. It was just really, really well done. Um, and I also loved how she would be very, you know, sure to like validate all of us parents who were like, mm-hmm. Oh no, but that's what we do. What do you right. mean? I can't, ah. um, and she, she encourages us like on, on her Instagram post, And also we'll hear in the interview, like to be compassionate, not just to our kids, but to ourselves as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a process. Yeah,
2: she's, she's, she's does an excellent job of presenting information in a interesting, creative, very clear way and provide education. I think mm-hmm. so. I, I love that too. Um, I also find her approach inspiring because she really makes you remember that there are reasons behind behavior. And I think a lot of her content is around this. It's helping us to understand and actually be more aware and sensitive to our children's behavior and like what they're communicating through their behavior instead of, like you said, that like knee-jerk reaction. Of course, she's she's also great at providing tips, you know, how to respond and, and manage children's behavior. But really, like, it's all about Developing a deep connection and trust with your kids, and mm-hmm. I find her approach to just very kind. And um, that you know, all these Instagram posts. If you're on social media, definitely check her out. um Believe me, Heller is her. What is her? Um, unconditional parenting. Unconditional parenting mm-hmm.
1: is the like unconditional underscore parenting. Handle, wait, that's the Twitter. handle. The handle is no,
2: it a handle? It, I think it's a handle on Instagram. Yeah, I think okay. it is. Just spot on. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's so satisfying when you read something. And you're like, wow, that
1: was like really well stated. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and let's just talk about Bimi's Instagram page for a moment. She has a whopping 142,000 mm. followers, which boggles That's my crazy. mind. I know. So she's
2: like, her reach is beyond the from community. Yeah, if she yeah, has yeah, that many. Yeah,
1: numbers. 100%. Um, she describes herself as a mom who's passionate about helping parents build relationships with their children based on respect and trust. She also offers parenting courses and private coaching. We'll include the link in the show notes to her website. And um, she also has, she also sends out her posts via WhatsApp. So whatever way you like to receive your information, she probably has a way to get it to you. Okay, great. Um, before we get to the interview, let's just
2: DMC Rifki a little bit about our own parenting experiences. Mm. Okay, so I'm not going to go to like the natural <laughs> question. Like, what's the most challenging part of parenting? I'm not going to say it that way. But I want to reframe a little and ask you, um, what is one area in parenting that you feel that you really could improve on? In other words, like what's your "quote unquote" button that gets the most press in your parenting that you know, like you
1: really need to fix? And mm-hmm. I will answer that too. So okay, okay, okay you go okay. first. I found this really hard because I was like, how do I, how do I narrow it down? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's always like I feel like you know, the, the not listening to me the first time <laughs> for sure always gets a rise out of me. I'm like, oh, I God, rise. Like, I how many it. times <laughs> do I have to say this thing? And I know like you're not supposed to repeat yourself. Are oh, you whatever. not meant
2: to repeat yourself?
1: I, I think because it can devolve into nagging and then it can devolve oh, into...
2: potentially. that's my problem. Okay. Like,
1: you know, yelling or whatever or, you Got know, it. communicating in a way which is less than ideal. Um, but, I mean, honestly. But I, I feel like when, when I really think about it, a lot of My trigger boils down to like patience, like my patience Mm. level. When I'm moving, I'm usually moving very quickly. I usually have a lot of things on my plate. I have, I'm juggling a lot of balls and I, and I also like, I tend to go fast. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll walk into a room, I'll size up the situation, I'll decide what I want to do and I'm moving forward, you know, fine. Um, And I understand that not everyone moves at that pace, nor should everyone, nor should I necessarily move at that pace. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I really do need to slow it down. Um, and it's hard for me to slow down, especially when I feel like something could be moving faster. Like if I feel like someone could be making choices to, that were better <coughs> my children and, um, mm. but with my three year old, I can be patient cause she's three. Right. So like, okay, fine. So I know it's going to take a while cause she's a pre preschooler and like, But can I just say when your mm. oldest
2: child was three, I'm not sure you necessarily had the same patience. Like I think, right. Like as you ch- you've gone
1: through raising older kids, uh, I think hundred percent. also when my oldest right. child was three, I had like two babies below him. Uh, so like right. I was just overwhelmed. Right. So yes, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a three below it was, whatever it was yeah. yeah it was a lot Hashem. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's very different. Exactly. I'm older. And right. Now I'm in my 40s. You understand? Things more. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I have more time. I don't have anyone below her. Right. So she's my baby. It's. Right. it's I, I see the same thing with my youngest also. I'm like parenting right? this one pretty well, you know? Yeah, <laughs> psh, gold star. Gold star for us. You know, I feel like I, I just don't have patience sometimes for like letting my kids process things at their speed. Or, or, or if, like, you know, we're running late in the morning <clears> and this one has to get to Minion and this one has to whatever. And, like, I'm like, you knew you needed your shoes. You need your shoes every single day. Is there a reason your shoes were not on your feet? like this is not a new requirement like why why mm. so I feel like I guess that kind of like impatience with like you know or like the impatience of like you know stalling bedtime like I know my kids are gonna stall bedtime because it's what they like I know that they're gonna suddenly remember that they're hungry once they get up into their bed like mm-hmm. I, this is not new for me either and I just right. I get so impatient with that I'm like Come on! So I get impatient with them. I get impatient with myself for Mm. not, like, you know, for not. I get impatient with them for like wanting the ridiculous thing that they want. It's not ridiculous for them to be hungry. First of all, they're not hungry. They had dinner and they had a a snack. And you had two dinners. It's like correct, correct. (laughs) But like, so I don't have patience for it, and then I don't have empathy. Right. And then I get annoyed at myself for also like not predicting Mm. it and not like creating a because I'm always like, this is my also thing. Like I, am like, if I just plan well enough, and if I just have it's, if I just have enough structure, and if I just have a good enough bedtime routine, then all my problems will be. Magically solved. Right. Listeners, I wanted to tell you, this is not true. <laughs> Learn from me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, okay. That's me. <laughs> that, thank you so much for sharing
2: all that with us. It definitely resonates with me. I'm sure with others as well. Um, for me, I guess that button is any kind of like talk back or rude talk. Oh yes. I don't know if I did that as a kid, but in my mind, I never spoke like that to my mm, mother. Probably perfect. i <laughs> <laughs> well, where did you get those jeans from. <laughs> Certainly on my side of the family. <laughs> Oh gosh. So I I just find it like so oh by the way, can I just say I'm an only child? So the environment that I was raised in also was completely, completely different. different. Like you cannot possibly compare. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I find it really <laughs> hard for me to listen and respond calmly as well to any kind of talk back or rude talk. It's very it's like by definition triggering for yeah, me. Yes. And I will definitely have this sort of like visceral reaction to chutzpah when it comes to specifically like non-compliance. Mm. So but I find this, by the way, I'm better, I don't, this is more like when my kids are like the 10 and under. Like when they're teens, it doesn't come, it's it's, it's different. Right. And like parenting not,
1: teens is also like different. Yeah, it's
2: just different. So I'm not, I don't want any, especially my teens, I do, just in case somehow they do end up listening to this episode. I'm not talking <laughs> about you guys, okay? So, <laughs> but um, But I find that like, let's say a child's one of my younger ones, like, doesn't want to comply, but was able to express that to me somehow and share their feelings in an open way and talk about it, like, I feel like I could deal with that. Like, we could talk about it. I can validate. We can problem solve. Yeah. But if the child is just so emotional that there's just responding to me in rudeness or anger, that's really hard for me because I just have a very super difficult time responding in the way that I need to respond and not act emotional and and in turn, yeah, understandable,
1: oh, Rel- relatable content. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> and the hardest part about this is also this: when you know in your mind that these kids need, we know that they need the parents to respond in an emotionally, <laughs> really work. like,
1: yeah. It's that is exactly <laughs> what they need.
2: But, like, it was, it's almost like I feel that's like biologically impossible <laughs> and like superhuman. So, yes, this is something that I need to continue to work on. I have plenty of opportunities to
1: practice it, thank God. And um, yeah, those are my buttons. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. What we love about, like, dmc about these kinds of topics is that we know we're not the only ones, because we have people who message us, like, thank you so much. We felt very validated by your conversation. (laughs) Or I just, well, someone just messaged me. We had an expert
2: on the show. Like, we love your expert. I don't know how you find them, but I just want to tell you my favorite part of the episode was your conversation with Riffy (laughs) because it just made me feel that understood and that like we're living similar
1: yeah exactly we are in it together ladies Mm -hmm. um so that's that's what motivates us to share some of our own personal experiences you know if it can give some some, someone assurance and a a bit of a sense of camaraderie you know knowing that we're all in this together and sharing some similar struggles and experiences then our job here at dmc is done oh yeah so i think this
2: interview is going to be very enlightening and we hope you enjoy the DMC with blimi heller Welcome, Bleamy, to Deep Meaningful Conversations. We are so excited to have this DMC with you today. So am I. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a topic near and dear to my heart, and really honored to to hear your insights and expertise on parenting. So, you know, we know that you you're a parent coach and you coach parents on learning how to parent unconditionally. So tell us, like, what does that mean? We know, of course, about, you know, loving children unconditionally. What does it mean to parent unconditionally? You know, and also, like, if you could just share a little bit about, like, how you discovered this method of parenting and, you know, obviously why you're so passionate about it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I don't really love labels or titles to my way of parenting or any really way of parenting but specifically mine because it's not really a method I find that labels sort of come along with like this is the method of how you do it it's not a method it's really much more a consciousness a way of understanding parenting than it is a specific methodology or specific set of strategies now um the re the I got unconditional the word unconditional parenting from the book um by Alfie Cohen um and I really I like the idea and that's why I adopted that name, even though I said, I don't like labels. Hmm. And the idea is that, so unconditional love is that I'd love you unconditionally, right? Like no matter what you do, I will love you anyway. And we extend that into the way that we parent, meaning that we also don't have conditions in our parenting. So when we say unconditional love, right, we're talking about, it sounds, it's very, um, It's ephemeral. It's, you know, esoteric. It's something that you can't really hold on to. Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What does that look like in real life? How does somebody feel unconditionally loved? And so that's really what Alfie Cohen asks. And he says the way that children experience being unconditionally loved is by not having conditions around when they receive connection, affection, um, anything that they would feel is... Uh, meeting their needs so for example if a parent says i'm not going to give you dessert unless you eat this supper to that that's a condition now that you're putting on whether you're going to be you know um a dessert is a way of uh is 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 a form of it's a gift a gift Mm -hmm. it's a form of showing love or you know uh, giving to your child and you're holding that back or if let's say a child hits their sibling you say go to your room right where now you're actually taking away that closeness and contact with your child and you're saying Withdrawing from them, and so now their the contact that closes is conditional on their behavior. So you understand, and so he says that even though we say we love them unconditionally. Does your child experience it that way? Is it that you're constantly, the way that we're parenting and disciplining our children, trying to set boundaries, is it done in a way where there's a ton of conditions around what your child perceives to be love? Mm-hmm. So
2: there are boundaries and consequences. Like you gave an example of going to your room because you hit the child. Can you explain that a
0: little bit? Yes. Yeah, so no, no, there isn't. Okay. So uh. in the, the, yes, in the approach I talk about, there is boundaries and consequences is a tricky word, mm-hmm. but there there is I don't really like that word because it's been like adopted and co-opted to mean punishments and every anything else you can imagine mm-hmm. whatever you want it to be it means um so but we do believe in boundaries absolutely and in upholding boundaries. So if a child is hitting another child I will step in and stop them and do things to prevent it as much as possible and uh, talk to my child about it and do whatever I need to do to keep a safe environment as much as possible but I will not resort to strategies that uh will uh have my child feeling like they don't belong in my presence. Mm-hmm. Like they, uh, you know, something bad needs to happen to them. Things like that. Like rejecting them. Cause that's it's uh-huh. rejecting them or even taking something away from them. Like I used to do that all the time. Like I'm going to take away your iPad, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm going to take, your. you're not going to get this. You're not going to get that. We're not going on the trip. You're not coming to the party. You know, taking things away that they love is another form of, um, really kind of, for a child to feel like you obviously don't love me that much if you do that to me. You know, like, why are you taking things away that are so important to me?
1: Mm-hmm. oh it's so tricky because it's like to be in the mind of the child but mm-hmm. while having the mind of the parent oh. and having like this bigger picture mm-hmm. as the parent and it's well the a global said. view and the, but the child that's like for them Was it, it was for Israel Salanter I think who said like if you take a child a toy away from a child it's like taking like a boat away from a, an adult something like that yeah something like, like
0: that I think he says if a child toy toy breaks it's like the equivalent of their boat sinking or something oh, like yeah. a yeah. ship with all their cargo yeah, yeah I love that because it's so compassionate and really trying to understand things from a child's perspective I don't know if you're familiar with like recently i mean it's not so recent i started sharing uh, i share on instagram right posts i also share them on whatsapp um i do a lot of like from the point of view of a child Mm -hmm. i love it just shares if the child is speaking because i think it's very hard yeah as a parent we're so focused on what we need to do what we need to take care of which makes a lot of sense as we should be but sometimes we forget what it's like from the perspective of a child so i try to combine yeah this approach is basically where We're still in the role of parent. We're not abdicating that role and saying like, oh, well, then if my child needs unconditional love, then I'm just not going to set boundaries and just going to do whatever they want. Like, that's what we would call permissive parenting, where it's just right. No, we absolutely believe that children actually need our leadership and need our guidance and that they crave that really. Um, And even if they don't, they need it for their own safety and well-being. And at the same time, we still take our child's perspective into consideration. Mm-hmm. And when I, when people hear this, they I, I imagine, like I even saw with both of you, it can feel very overwhelming. You know, it's like, what are you saying? Wait, so like all the strategies that I've been using until now, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, they're bad. Um, I can't use them. So first of all, I don't like thinking in terms of wrong or bad. It's more about <clears throat> what's the impact and do I want that impact, mm-hmm. right? And then it's about slowly finding and adopting different strategies that are effective, but that don't in, in, impact our children in that way. You know, don't have them feeling like you only love me when I do this and mm-hmm. you only love me when I do that. And I'm only accepted when I do this and I'm only accepted when I do that. And I'm not when I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. did you have a particular parenting journey yourself that got oh, yeah, you that's involved? You yeah. Right. Yeah. You were asking what, like, why I'm so passionate about it and mm-hmm. what led me here. Yeah. I did have my own journey. So it started really as a, a child myself. Um, I remember being punished and I remember I have very clear memories of when I was punished thinking like, and I was probably already 11, 12 when I started thinking this, thinking like, does it really, Do I? did I really need a punishment? Like, why couldn't my parents just speak to me? Like, I'm mm. a, I'm I'm like reasonable, you know, <laughs> I, I, I really remember thinking that, like, That's I remember cute. being like, am I not reasonable enough to talk to? Like, you could wow. talk to me. You know, and I remember then thinking that it doesn't really make so much sense. I didn't really get what was like the utility in it. Um and and I remember thinking then I the conclusion I came to was uh it must be because I'm not a parent yet. You know, once I'm a parent, I'll probably understand. That's so empathetic, right? That <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was I couldn't make sense of it, you know. So that was the conclusion I came to. And and then so I started reading parenting books from a very young age because I didn't want to parent that way. Yeah. Um, I remember I read like Children Are From Heaven. Um, the, all these kinds of books went talk to children. What is it? From uh listen to so children will talk, talk to so children will oh, listen. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to talk to children. So Yeah, how yeah, to yeah. talk. There you go. And I read these from a very like teenage You know, I was reading these books and I was like, I'm gonna do this. I really wanted a, a a good relationship with my children. That was something that was very important to me that I knew from a young age that I wanted. Anyway. I did become a parent and, um, with my oldest child, she turned out (laughs) and she started, she was very, uh, like around two years old. She was started really showing her true character, you know, when they start speaking and everything and she was very strong willed, Mm -hmm. you know, what people would might call stubborn Mm -hmm. or spirited or highly sensitive, all the things. Mm, And I was really, really struggling to, um, To parent in the way that I wanted to, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I found myself threatening. I found myself punishing. I found myself, you know, trying reward charts and I was lost. And, and the, the beauty of my child, my oldest, my daughter is that she didn't go for any of that. That's what I love about really strong willed children is that even punishments don't work. You know, I still remember what? I would. I, wow. Mind blown. <laughs> even punishments don't work with. Yeah. It's gonna lie. yeah. but With some children, I think that like, like, my, like with me, I remember I used to like be scared of it. So I would quickly change and do what I need to do. But she was like, you're going to do that to me. No, I'm going to like show you that that doesn't work. You know, and she was very determined to do that. So um I felt very lost and I noticed that I started dreading parenting and I started really dreading um just being with her you know mm-hmm. it was it felt like I was just micromanaging her all day and I was and I remember uh, like it's it's slowly started percolating in my mind this idea that I must find another way like this mm-hmm. can't be it you know mm-hmm. And so I decided to start researching. I love reading, uh, nonfiction specifically. Uh, you see, I was reading books from when I was a teenager about parent- parenting. Um, so I just decided to start like researching and reading about um, what people have to say. And I was like, I hope I'm going to find something new here because... Um, anytime I did turn to somebody for advice, they were just, I remember I turned to my daughter's preschool teacher and they told me the same thing that I had heard every, like, all of us are here all the time. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. put them in a timeout and make a chart and reward. It was all the same thing it was either punishment or rewards or some version of that. Um, and I, I was like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. Like that's not working, you know? Mm-hmm. So I started researching and I came across information that literally blew my mind mm-hmm. And also really resonated with my inner child. Like I said, it started in childhood where I was like, I knew that. Hmm. I knew you didn't need to punish a child. I knew you could talk to them. (laughs) And I I actually read from parents who were parenting this way for like, they already had teenagers and they would, they would discuss like Dr. Laura Markham um, and a bunch of different doctors, really neuroscientists, psychologists, who were sharing like a new way of approaching parenting, of understanding our role as a parent. And it was so it really, really sat, like I said, it really resonated with my inner child. And I was like, I know that this is like, this makes sense. This is how I would have wanted to be parented. And so I started adopting all the different ideas that I had heard into my own home. And I want to say it was very, very hard. It was Hmm. not easy. This is the part where like, you know, it's like, oh, it sounds like it was so wonderful and dandy. You know, there were many times where I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm just going back to what I did before. This isn't working, you know? Um, But I ultimately always came back to it because it really, like aligned with my like highest self and what I really, really craved and wanted for my myself as a parent and for my child. Um and I'm still at it. <laughs> I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Um but I I I when I did start adopting it, I saw a shift. Not in my child. She's still the same person that she always is and she will be and I love that about her. But our relationship shifted mm. and like this quality of our like interactions changed and it just parenting started feeling different. I'm not going to say it became easier. It, it was a lot of work on myself and it still is. It's but there was a I don't know what, a quality of ease. Hmm. Meaning like it did every moment didn't feel like dreadful and like I don't know, there was there were moments of joy where I felt like a sense hmm. of connection with my child and um it just started feeling much more meaningful to parent her, that's honestly. A beautiful story. Yeah, that's yeah really tremendous and so that's why I became so passionate. I was like, other people
2: need to know this. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been doing this?
0: Um, six years. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah. nice.
1: Yeah. And I love the idea of the the fact that like it resonated with you internally. I feel like that's something that you know I've taken like I don't even know how many parenting courses mm. and all over the years and. Right. Like if something doesn't resonate with you, no matter how much intellectually you might think like, this is a good strategy. Like if it doesn't resonate with you, like it's not going to (laughs) work.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And um, that's when I give my courses, I actually start out with that. I say like, I'm sure I'm not like the arbiter of truth. Hmm. I'm not like, you know, it's not like, oh, here's my, you know, course and download it onto your brain and I'll do everything I say. (laughs) You know, I say really, I want you to uh, filter it through your own lens, take what resonates ask yourself does this really sit well with me and only take what resonates with you it's not a method you don't have to follow the, my entire script it's I'm sharing ideas with you and whatever resonates take it and if it doesn't leave, leave it you know I really believe in that I believe that we have to, it has to sit inside of us it has to live in, it, in us mm-hmm. in order for us to like you know live it outside of us mm-hmm. 100 oh I really agree um so all of the things i'm hearing like you
1: know it's not a method it's a relationship really is like the message that I'm hearing very strongly here and I love it and you, you've mentioned before um, when we've been communicating that like you're very passionate about parents knowing how important the actual relationship is with their children and also that it's not necessarily as complicated as most people think it is. And I would
0: love for you to talk a little bit about that if you could. Yeah, so so exactly. So my entire the entire framework really boils down to relationship. That's And that was like the mind-blowing thing that I, I saw over and over again when I first started coming across this is that the relationship is the most important thing. Like, yes, you want to transmit values. You want to teach your child right from wrong. And you want them to, you know, grow up into to responsible, empathetic, uh, contributing members of society, whatever. Yeah. All that, all that is accomplished through a relationship. A child needs to have a, this center and a core relationship with you. Um, and there's so much research on this. It's also like the cornerstone of mental and emotional health. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, he's a Dutch psychiatrist. He has a famous quote that says, um the parent child connection is the most powerful mental health intervention known to mankind. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. and, 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 yeah, Can it's you unpack that. Yeah. So um, there's so much like, right. We're dealing with so much mental health crises and uh, there's for sure. Uh, often there's many other different factors that impact it like trauma, you know, PTSD, but what he found over and over again, and many other researchers is that when a child has a secure attachment with their parents, they have a secure relationship, that's almost like a buffer for everything that happens to them. It's like a buffer against the rest of the world and against all their experiences because they have their parents to sort of be there. And by the way, this is true for adults too. Um, I know I've read the, re- the work of um, uh, Sue Johnson, and she also talks about how like even adults in relationships, um, those who are in secure relationships also have sort of a buffer against uh Hard things that are happening. They even have brain imaging to show how pain is decreased mm-hmm. uh, when, yeah, really fascinating. Wow. So, Yeah. So a child, when they have a secure relationship, it's so first of all, that like everything that if they have that relationship, the world is not as scary and not as bad. And so the everybody goes through hard things, right? Being human is going through hardships. But when you have that relationship, then it like I said, it provides a buffer, It provides. So it's a processing. They can process the hardships that they go through and it doesn't impact them as um, in a way that's so damaging, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Also, um, children's brains literally develop according to the relationship that they have with their parents. So, uh, children's brains aren't fully developed at birth. There are parts that are fully developed, but the part that isn't is actually right here in the front. Mm -hmm. It's called the prefrontal cortex. Um, that part is responsible for like impulse control, emotional regulation, um, consciousness, uh, problem solving, executive functioning, all the things that we would associate with like maturity. Now, fascinatingly enough, a child's uh, ability to regulate themselves, right? So uh, something really, really hard happens to you, or you feel a really painful emotion or you feel, and then the ability to be able to soothe yourself kind of, to be able to be like, it's okay. And to feel regulated again in your body um, is, Actually, first learned by a parent providing that for you. So, right, mm-hmm. a newborn baby cries and is very distressed, and the parent picks the baby up and is just there, not shushing the baby necessarily, um but just the parent is there, and the parent's own calm, okayness in their body. The child is—it's fascinating. There's actually something called mirror neurons where the child will download that mm-hmm. onto their literally mirror the parent's brain. They download that to their own bodies, and then they develop that regulation and with the having that experience over and over and over again a child gets older and they're very distressed and and a parent having that with a parent over and over again a parent who's attuned and is okay with themselves and can provide that for their child develops that ability and that's also something that really is the cornerstone of emotional health right so there's so there's many different facets as to why um, it impacts our ch- our children's emotional and uh, mental health which essentially is more or less the same thing. Um, so yeah, so it's really, really impactful, the relationship and it's the, it's, I sort of think of it as like the container for the transmission of whatever you want to transmit to your child. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if let's say there's a, you know, there's a bunch of great values you have that you want to transmit to your child, but there's no container. It's like, there's no, let's say the values are water, right. Mm -hmm. But there's no cup. So you're pouring and you're pouring, but the water just goes everywhere. It's just like flowing all over the place. Whereas the the relationship creates a container, it creates a cup. So now you pour the water and the water ha- goes into the cup. You I hear what I'm original. saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, the relationship, it creates that container for uh, transmitting everything. So it's it, it literally is the cornerstone of uh, parenting. And when we, unfortunately, what happens is because we're so focused on teaching right from wrong on setting boundaries which is yeah we have to make sure it don't brush your teeth and go to the bath and you go to sleep where we need to that's part of our, our role as a parent and sometimes we get so stuck on that or caught up I should say in that that the relationship gets mm. uh, neglected or well, not only does it get neglected sometimes the way that we go about doing those things undermines the relationship right. itself right right that's that's where the' like that's like the the heartbreaking thing to me you know mm-hmm. uh that's what I was doing. And so what I, yeah. So the, the, the approach that I try to teach parents is to let's put relationship first. Let's find a way to do all these things without undermining relationship. And I want to say something we're human. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're going to make mistakes. All of us are going to yell, whatever. We all have different Mm -hmm. things that we do. We all have our own uh, weaknesses, right? But we're going to yell and we're going to do, we are going to undermine the relationship and that's okay. Relationships are a living, breathing thing. It's not like a hundred percent of the time you have to do hundred percent perfectly no it's there's room for mistakes first of all you can repair afterwards you can mm-hmm. always say you know i i apologize i did that that wasn't you did not deserve that and i regret doing that but also uh there's there's room you don't have to do it hundred percent of the time you know the a relationship i don't know if you've ever heard of a relationship i talk about this too. an emotional bank account mm-hmm. dr steven uh, not doctor sorry Stephen covey talks about this uh basically with every person that you're in a relationship with, you have an emotional relationship. And so it's, we have a balance, you know, and if, the balance, if you have a lot of deposits and not many withdrawals, your balance is high. And if you have too many withdrawals, and right? So it's about the amount of withdrawals. It's about the quality of the withdrawal, et cetera. So um, there's room for mistakes. It's not, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, none of us are going to be perfect ever. No, that's um, great. That's um, very comforting. Yeah. Great to yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 No, it's not about that. But as much as possible, if we can, to try to put the relationship first. Right.
2: And I feel like also, like you're talking about our responses, so much of it if you go to the root issue is how are we doing how is our emotional health how are we able to handle all right. those mishaps how, so how's our emotional regulation how's our emotional regulation because <laughs> often yeah. that's just sort of what it is we're like super stressed we're overwhelmed and now the kid uh, isn't brushing their teeth and like yeah. how how do we build up ourselves as parents to feed ourselves so yes. that we can
0: keep regulated I love that you're saying that because that's a, such an important component. Like we cannot forget about, I sometimes, I think when I first started out, actually, if I'm honest, I used to focus too much on like, you have to do this for your child. You to do that for your child. And, you have to and I neglected to mention the parents. I think mm-hmm. I neglected myself too, mm-hmm. you know, um, where I was so hyper-focused on what to do for my child, but exactly what you said, like, we need to be there for ourselves. Ultimately, that's really what it comes back to. Right. Cause if I'm feeling okay, or if I, I learn how to regulate myself, that will, impact my child automatically without having to do anything so uh, and yeah it's so important to care for ourselves too a hundred percent and now i include that much much more um in what i share but i love that you mentioned that so important and i wanted to mention you said like it's not so complicated about putting relationship first yeah well it is complicated because (laughs) because it's new it's new for many of us Uh. meaning it isn't complicated but it is meaning it's so new it's like how do i put relationship first we don't even know the strategies but it isn't complicated in the sense that we all know what it means to have a, a a relationship with somebody. We all know what we would want in a relationship. Like one of the easiest ways for me to question whether I want to use a strategy or not is to simply think, how would I feel if someone did that to me? Mm-hmm. That, it's very simple in that way. But it's hard because it's it's hard to change over all our strategies that we're so used to using, et cetera, you know? Right. right. It's like an extra yeah. beat where we have to like stop and think uh,
1: like and take that extra moment That's and right. like who has an extra moment, you know, when you're asked when you're responding reflexively, you gotta be like, Oh, nope, gotta stop responding reflexively. And now I have to think and now I have to do something else. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. In the beginning, it's for sure like that. You have to take a lot of pauses and breaks, but I have to say that over time, right. I've been doing that for six years. A lot of the responses do become second nature where you're mm-hmm. almost shocked. Like sometimes I look at myself, I'm like, Oh my gosh, am I doing that? <laughs> you know, wow. it's like, I, I, yeah, it took years, but even I want to say like, just to give a, an understanding for how long these things really take in real life it took me two years to stop threatening my daughter from when I started and I was inspired by all this. It took two years, probably even more than, I'm saying two, at least two years, um, to stop threatening. I just, it was at the tip of my tongue. It came naturally to me. This is what I did reflexively. Like yeah. you said, and it, I just did it, you know, then afterwards I'd say like, actually, hold on. Uh, when I, once I calmed down, I'd be like, actually, I didn't mean that. Let, let's right. take that back and let's start again. Um, but eventually it came to a point where I didn't even have to do that anymore. It didn't even like, I wouldn't even, threatened you know right. I didn't yeah. to come to my mind yeah.
2: yeah and even though you intellectually knew you were working on it you know for those of us who who need to first educate ourselves and then work on it it's like right exactly yeah. yeah so what I'm, I'm really hearing about your approach and about you which I think is so beautiful is you're you're an empathetic person you're a type of person that you put your feet in other people's shoes and it sounds like as a child you were like that so that's it's really really beautiful
0: yeah probably somewhat I was yeah that's yeah. true Mm -hmm. So I think
2: that really, you know, um, is the keystone behind your whole approach. Can you tell us more about like the power of empathy and specifically, Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear a story maybe from you to share that illustrates this.
0: Oh my gosh. I have so many stories and I, I, okay. So here's the thing, right? So I keep talking about how relationship is the most important thing. And I want us to bring that into everything we do as a parent boundaries and discipline, et cetera for me one of the key key ways that we do that is through empathy and empathy really is my anybody who knows me will know that it's my favorite favorite topic <laughs> um because i do think it's magical it's like the magical uh magical ingredient for any relationship really i think it's like the superpower of all relationships and so Think about it this way. So let's say my child. I tell my. I just want to give a very practical example. I tell my child. My child says, "I want to 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 play a game right now on my iPad." Right, and I say no. Right. So I'm the parent. It's my job to set the boundaries, and I'm like, "Not now," because for whatever reason, it's bedtime soon or whatever it is. I'll say, "No, you're not. We're not doing that now." Um, I can't let you do that right now. And then my child is likely very upset. Right. That's where I will then bring in empathy. Now, let's talk about what empathy first is, because like I think that there's so many. We it's a buzzword, and what does it mean? It's really uh, ultimately it's seeing the perspective of another, and the cornerstone of that is listening. It's really about listening. Now, when we think about listening, it's active listening. It's when you're really listening to understand their perspective. It's when you're you know that's what you're doing. You're receiving what the other person is experiencing or saying to you and you're, you're actually, uh, making, uh, you're, you're taking it seriously. You're really thinking about it. It's you're seeing somebody else's perspective through listening. Okay. So when my child's really upset, because I just said, no, I then will empathize. Then I'll go into a space of, wow. Okay. I just said no to my child. My child's really disappointed. That's so understandable. I would also be really disappointed if I couldn't do something I really wanted to do. I am disappointed when I can't. And so then I will offer empathy for what my child's experiencing, either silently, just by looking at them in an empathetic sort of way and just being like, yeah, you know, or I'll say something. I'll say like, I know it's so hard when I, I say no to you, like you really wish that you can keep watching, uh, playing a game, right? You you don't want me to say no right now. I know it's, it's hard, right? And so right there, that's the magic. What I've done is is I've held a boundary, but I haven't undermined the relationship because I've held space for my child's feelings. Mm -hmm. I've I've been empathetic for what they're experiencing and my child feels cared for. I remember many times as a child when my parents used to set boundaries, I was convinced they don't care about Mm me, mm -hmm. right? I was like, you don't care because you don't understand where I'm coming from and you... And so that's, that's, this is it, is that we actually, by empathizing, we're showing I do care. Mm-hmm. I really care about your experience. I'll still hold my boundary because I really believe that this is the right thing. Whether it is or not, I know. I don't know. I might be wrong. I really like holding that humility as a parent. Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure, but I really believe right now that this is the right thing. And as a parent, I have to make these decisions. But I'm going to still take seriously and understand where you're coming from. And it's really something that's going to touch me. I'm not just going to like say words that I don't mean. I'm really going to empathy is that I'm, I'm allowing it to touch me. I'm really seeing your perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's one way that we bring empathy into our parenting. And that's how we, with boundaries, that's how we do it. And that way we really don't undermine the relationship because we're putting the child's experience first in a way. I mean, we're also putting first what needs to get done and taking care of them, etc. Right, right? Right. Okay. Now. So, I
1: have a logistical question. Can yeah, I just pop in here? Yeah, sure. The, sure. Um,
0: so like let's say we've empathized or whatever and
1: the child is still we can tell that this mm-hmm. that this emotional state of the child is going to go on for a long time and yeah. let's say our other kids need our attention or we just yeah. don't want to sit there for 45 minutes listening to them emote. Yeah. So yeah. just hypoth- hypothetically speaking. <laughs> so um, yeah. so can we can we say like can we do something along the lines of like you know Kite, like I'm so sorry. I know it's really hard and I you know I really see how hard this is for you Mm -hmm. I have to go do this thing right now but you know I'm here for you if you need me Mm -hmm. or or something can we 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 can disengage from that process and still go do other stuff right and then
0: absolutely I do that all the time I was gonna say that yeah, sometimes when I share this, I'm so happy you ask. People get the impression they have to sit in front of your child's face the entire time, right? <laughs> and so empathy is really an emotional exchange, right? It's not like so much, it's not physical. It's, not, it's something you can feel more. And so I always say like, you can be there emotionally for your child without actually being there, right? And many times I'll like, I'll actually be busy doing things while I empathize. It's because emotionally I'm listening, I'm there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, of course, if I have to go do something else, I'll be like, I'm right here. I'm just going to go do this thing or whatever. Exactly what you said. However, it comes naturally to you to say, it um but yeah it, for sure we can go on and do other things it's more that we're giving our child the room to feel however they feel we're not like i see that's the thing also is that and this is a little bit of a separate idea but um the way many of us were parented also is that our parents would say no you can't and they also wanted to control how we felt about it mm. right so it was like i'm gonna ask you to do this that you're very unhappy about and you're not allowed to complain right <laughs> yeah Well said. Right. Yes. And that is really unhealthy boundaries, actually. And again, no fault or shame to our parents. They did the best they could with what they knew. I have a lot of compassion for them. I think they they didn't have the information we have nowadays. And it wasn't so, they didn't have the internet and all that, you know. But um, it's really, that's the thing is that we really recognize my child's emotions are not mine to manage, to fix, to save, to demand how it, whatever. It's just not my domain. It's theirs. That's healthy boundaries. What's mine is mine. What's yours is yours. Mine, I can set the boundary that's my domain. You can feel however you feel. Mm-hmm. That is not, it is not my job to control it. You can complain, you can be sad, you can be angry, whatever you feel is okay. And in addition to that, I will even be there for you when you feel that way. That's like, that's the empathy piece. Now, n- not always are we available for empathy. I also want to share that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're so overwhelmed or, and I want to share also that whenever we're overwhelmed with our, if there's something going on for us, if we're full of our own intense, unpleasant emotion, we can't empathize. Right. Empathy is listening, which is what I said, receiving. receiving. In order to receive, to give yeah. the example before, you need to have a container. There needs to be emptiness inside of you, a vessel to listen. If you're full, if your own cup is full inside of you, you can't listen. You can't. And that's fine. You know what? That's fine. That happens. It's you it's you've already being human. And in that moment you just need to be there for yourself. You know, either you can reach out to a friend or you can empathize with yourself. That's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. But but when you're not full, then you can empathize with your child, you know? So, but at, even if you can't empathize, the minimum we do is let your child feel however they feel. Don't control how they feel. Right.
2: But let's say they're feeling their feelings or we're acknowledging it, but they are lashing out or yes. disturbing the peace in the home, you know, screaming, throwing, like, what would you say that at will that happen. point?
0: Yeah, that will happen. And and, and how we, uh, I'll, I'll get to how we manage that, but I first, can I go back to, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, the power of empathy. Okay. Yes, I've yes. got my running right. list of
2: questions for you. No, it's
0: okay. I know. This is what always happens. I can go on and on and on and on, really, honestly. Um, so I'm going to get to, yeah, what happens when a child lashes out? That we go to discipline and upholding boundaries, really. What do we do when a child? Uh, their behavior is not okay, right? Like, what right. do we do in the moment? So I'll get there. But I want to share about, so I, w- I was just, uh, before, gave an example of how we bring empathy into one of the things that we do as a parent right? Um, we really bring it into everything that we do as a parent. So when it comes to our children's emotions, when it comes to disciplining them, etc. but I want to share the power of empathy overall. So here's the thing. Okay. Our, our children or all of us really crave being understood. Right. Somebody should just listen yeah. to me and understand. Right. And I have to say that there's, it's, it's a very, um, it's a, it's, we're, how do I say this? That there's very little of it in our world. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't. I yeah. wish there was more of it. There's very little Especially of it. Especially on the internet. <laughs> uh, oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. But even in real life, like I see that there's so, most of us haven't been raised, I think with empathy. So most of us don't really know how to engage with empathy hmm. so much. And you'll watch even two people communicating and there's a lot of like, just talk, talk to each person. Okay. So think of it like this, there's expressing and then there's receiving when one person expresses the other person essentially should be receiving and then when the other person expresses Mm -hmm. what happens is we just express 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 Mm -hmm. express this is what an argument is Mm -hmm. right each person is just expressing nobody's receiving Mm -hmm. so um what empathy is the power of receiving is that somebody's actually listening is somebody's taking the chance to listen and you don't even know how magical it is to listen or Mm -hmm. to just receive you know sometimes we think that we need to like come in with like a child, let's say shares that they're depressed or Mm -hmm. that they're anxious. You know, a lot of times we immediately go into, how do I fix this? How do I see this? You know, what therapist do I send them to? Without realizing, and this has took me a long time to learn as well. And I, I learned it again and again and Mm -hmm. again, empathy, just being there receiving what my child is saying to them without freaking out without, and again, it's normal to freak out. I'll go for my own people to like freak out with and then come back to my child. But if I can come back to my child and just receive what they're saying, no matter how outlandish or crazy or scary it sounds that there's magic in that. And I think we realize there's magic in it when we experience it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like I've had experiences where I've felt like all kinds of intense emotions, like, and I've been able to share and the other person just listened And I walked away, you know, feeling so much lighter, Mm -hmm. so much better. And all the thoughts that I had sort of dissipated because I had a room to express it. And somebody heard it without freaking out about it and without thinking that I actually meant what I said, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was just like, just heard the underlying pain or what was happening for me. And it's really, really powerful. I think that really so much of the time when our children express something or when any of us do really, um, empathy is that's like the the magic that's really what's needed it's not sometimes we do need to obviously go for help and get them something else for sure sometimes we need to actually solve the problem um, but so many times we don't like the listening is the solving you know mm-hmm. yes. and so to share a story yes please um yeah there's so many stories but well i'll share two stories one with my own child and one is with an adult so the my child let's say just to give a very brief example was at the park and this was a few years ago she was probably i don't know maybe six at the time um and she wanted to go on the monkey bars but there were a bunch of kids around the monkey bars and nobody was letting her get on so she came to us my husband and i crying not letting me go on the monkey bars or whatever crying 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 and she came to my husband first we were sitting next to each other but he was like she was went to him and so what did he started doing what most of us do as parents he started trying to solve the problem mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's like well ask them if you could no I don't want to ask them and then well then do something I don't want to do something else you know and he kept and and then he got frustrated because he was trying to help her and she didn't want to help so Mm -hmm. he said something like that he's like well if you don't want my help I can't help you you know and I was just I had just started I mean it was two. again it was like around two years that I was starting to understand this idea of empathy and just being there for the emotion and just listening to like the hardship your child's going through without trying to fix it And so then she moved over to me (laughs) and I was like, okay, I'm just going to, watching that I was much more clear. I probably would have done the same thing, but I was much more clear about what my role is now. And so I just empathized. I just said, oh, it's so hard. They're all standing around the the monkey bars and you really want to go. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And so like, you really, really want to be, I just kept doing that. Just Mm -hmm. kept that, you know, and she just, then she got quiet. She just listened to me. I could tell she's listening, listening. And then we just were there in silence for like another minute. And then she went off and she went on the slide. (laughs) She didn't need my solutions or my, she figured it out herself. What she needed is somebody to, she was going through a hard time. She was very distressed and she needed to express that so she could release that. Wow. A release. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and when I did that, I just received it. She was, it was her, like, that's the thing also is that if you're alone with it, I think it's this is another very yes. important piece about humanity. You know, we talk a lot. I think in our culture, we're very like, it's a, in a Western culture, it's very like independent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always like, you can save yourself and you can help. Mm-hmm. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> really human beings need one another. We do. We're not capable of solving everything on our own. And to, you know, even if I would release my feeling on my own, like if I'm going through something really hard, if I try to just release it, it is not the same as if I express it to somebody else mm-hmm. and they receive it. It is not. I've done it many times both ways. (laughs) It's really not the same. And so when my child can express it and I receive it, now they're not alone with it. There's Mm -hmm. an element of, ah, I'm I'm understood. I'm held. Like uh, we all need that. And so, and then she was able to move on. She didn't need my solution. So that's a very, very, um, practical example that happens all the time with our kids wow Not that must kids, have
2: been like you said magic like oh my gosh i have to bottle this and do this again
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly that's why it stood out in my mind why do you think it like stayed with me because it was so obvious watching right. my husband do it and then me it was like oh my gosh and i had those experiences again and again and again where i was like oh my gosh look at the power of empathy and I really believe every parent experiences, like they have their own experiences in their bodies of recognizing it. And that makes it more, like you said, they like, like want to put it in a bottle and do it again. <laughs> so um, this is another story. I heard it directly from the person that this happened to, but I'm not, it's not, I'm not personally involved in the story. Um, so there was a an, an older man um, who for many, many years as an adult w- was very depressed and would have thoughts of like, I don't want to live anymore. Mm. Very often, like all the time. And um, he he one time he met that he went to like this uh program or something where there was a lot of empathy there was a lot about the power of empathy and they would practice empathy with each other and one of the trainers there uh was a woman and um he asked her can i talk to you about something and he went over to her and he started sharing about his thoughts that he has and what is going through him and then and then he started getting nervous that she was getting bored and then she wasn't really interested in hearing what he had to say, because it's pretty boring to hear like how a person wants to, is not depressed and they don't want to live or, and she said, no, no, I'm actually, I'm really, I find this very precious and very fascinating. Like it's, it's what's really happening for you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, if I get bored, like share more. And they went on a walk and he shared and he shared and every few, like every time he got nervous that she was getting bored, he would ask her and she's like, no, continue. And they did this for four days. He said like, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where he just shared and she listened. And listen and listen, listen. And he said, after that, after those four days, he said he has never experienced those feelings again. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Wow. He's like, he 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 well, he said, I of course I get sad sometimes, or whatever he said, but that like um that whole thing where he would think about I don't want to live anymore or whatever, he said, like totally moved on. It passed, you know. And I, I remember hearing this from him and being like, Wow. So that's wow. the power wow. of empathy. Yeah, like. See, that's the thing is that we ruminate. If we don't have who to share it with, we ruminate and we go over and over and again and we regurgitate the because same things and bottled up. Exactly. Yeah. And then it becomes like it beco- festers into like this big problem inside of our bodies, you know, whereas if we share it with somebody else and the other person is just takes it in and is not shocked or scared or alarmed by it. And they're just like, oh, OK, yeah, I'm listening. Right. There's something that happens inside of our own bodies where it's like, oh, wow, OK, you know, and we really as I said we really need one another. I don't believe mm-hmm. that we can do this alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I experience this myself all the time with others. So yeah, that's so that's also the amazing power of empathy. And I think that so those examples obviously two are like extremes kind of thing. One's a very simple example, one's much more heavy, and you know, um, but I, I really believe that empathy is that powerful hmm. you know yeah. well, not to say that sometimes there's other interventions that are needed by the way i don't want to say that there isn't i 100%. definitely believe in medication sometimes and all the other things but yeah but i just wanted to share the power of, uh, of that and this is something that we can all do
1: we can all empathize you know like that's okay, something we can all learn to do
0: exactly exactly sometimes you need a health mental health professional to do other things but exactly as parents we can all empathize we're all we all are able to do that right. exactly and
2: mm-hmm. whether we're a friends or a parent though we must be a full unbroken container because we can't receive it if we can't exactly. handle their, that right. other person's emotional exactly. distress.
0: Right. Exactly. And let me share something with you. If we are feeling full of our own pain, we can turn to somebody else who's an unbroken, full, oh. his empty container and go to them. That's what I do. Sometimes mm. I'm so pained about what my child is going through that I realize I'm not able to be there for them. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I can't listen. It's like too painful for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And so I'll go to somebody else and just cry or share my own pain. And then I so, I feel so much lighter, and then I go back mm. to my child, and I feel so much more able to listen. That's why, actually, as a parenting coach, um, that's one of the services I want to provide. I've only done it for one parent because I don't think most parents recognize the importance or like the beauty in it. Of I want to be an empathetic presence for parents, that's mm. so, so nice. if they're going through a hard time, that I can just uh, I'll just listen to you. I'll be there for you, you know. I mm. have um, to be I've a strong person for, to do that. Yeah, I you know? I happen to love doing that. It's oh, so okay. nourishing for me, like for me, it actually it's not even that I'm. Even though we call it receiving and like the other person's expressing, to me, I, 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 I feel like they're giving me something. Wow, yeah, That's amazing. Okay, so Hashem yeah. give you
1: the co-host to be really well suited for this. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> call
0: yeah, me. I mean, listen, everybody has different right, right. things there. Yeah. yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. So I, I loved how you had mentioned earlier about how this is a process, and it's okay, it's okay to be human. Like these are all good things for us to hear. I, you know, definitely me with my perfectionist tendencies that I'm working on. You know, it's definitely good to hear. It doesn't have to be 100 of the time. Um so can you talk a little bit more about how like we can shift our parenting without feeling like total failures for um you know whatever we've been doing so far and also, like, what what if our spouse is not on the same page? I love that you gave an example of how your husband yeah. did one thing and then you did another thing. Because yeah. I think that's a question a lot of us have is like, well, I just learned this amazing parenting tool, but my husband is not even interested in reading the email. So, like, <laughs> is it
0: going to be effective? <laughs> yeah, totally. First of all, I'm still having a mind that I didn't answer the question about what to do when a child acts out. Well, we'll, oh. get, we'll get there. Well, yeah, we'll okay. get to it later. Okay. Um. So, okay, so the question was about husbands. and we'll, Oh, feeling like total failures. Yeah, yeah I think <laughs> it's so important. So, honestly, I think the – the backbone of this is self-compassion, mm-hmm. right? We have like, I don't, I really don't believe. And I I used to think that like growth happens from being hard on yourself. And, you know, and I really, really believe that growth, like integrated, like, you know, lasting growth uh, really it stands on the back of self-compassion, like mm-hmm. really having a lot of compassion for ourselves and being like, And again, what does self-compassion even mean? That's a whole Mm -hmm. separate thing. It's like, how do I have compassion for myself? And again, let's go back to the idea that I really believe everything starts with relationship. I believe that we really learn to have compassion with our, for ourselves when somebody else can hold us with compassion, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. telling somebody the terrible thing we just did with our child and the other person really has compassion for that. And says, like, I imagine you were really just trying to get cooperation. It was so frustrating. And and I also see how much regret you have. Like that's really, you know, and when you, someone else doesn't like judge you and doesn't be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that, <laughs> really sees your intention, but also really sees your sadness over what you did and sees that you want to change. Um, I think that then we start being able to hold ourselves more with compassion. Like, again, some people did experience, have experienced people holding them with compassion, but many haven't. And so I think that if you haven't, it's a very, it's like, what is this? I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we experience it from somebody else, it's really helpful. So I try to provide that for parents as well, um, you know, to give them the compassion that maybe they aren't giving themselves. Um, but yeah, I really think we have to have compassion for ourselves and see when we um, hear these things or whatever, a lot of times we feel guilt and shame, mm-hmm. right? And that that we start thinking of a terrible parent. We start also like feeling very discouraged. Oh, I'm never going to do this, right? I'm always whatever it is, you know, really feeling all these very discouraging uh, and terrible feelings. Um, thoughts really. Um, and what what I really, and I don't believe that those motivate change mm-hmm. or lasting change nearly as much as sadness does. So just sadness or regret. Interesting. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, think about it this way, okay? Let's say somebody came to their uh, parents. A child came to their parent and says, "You know, it really hurt me when you told your friend about me, that my problems. It really, really hurt me." Okay. Now imagine a parent who doesn't have self compassion, and so they hear they hear the child saying this, and they hear, "Oh my gosh, you're a failure as a parent. You did a terrible job." That parent automatically now is very is going to start feeling very defensive and really have a hard time hearing what their child is saying. Right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be like start panicking and being like, "Well, I, I didn't mean to do that, and, and, and you should appreciate everything else I did for you, or whatever it is, you know." Mm-hmm. Um, and a parent who does have self see that's so the guilt and shame. You see how it's really not helping the parent move forward or really be able to hear their child. Whereas if a child comes and the parent then hears, uh, sees things like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, like I really it wasn't I did have bad intentions." I did it from a place where I was just looking for support. I didn't realize the impact it would have on my child. And so they have a lot of compassion for where they were coming from. And the same then they can hear, then there's a sense of sadness that emerges of like, oh, but I'm so sad that it impacted you in this mm-hmm. way. And then they can hear their child and they can also really move forward. Mm. So yeah, like I think that sadness and this is what we talk like speaking of like, I don't know when you're going to um, release this, but it's Elo right? Mm-hmm. And we talk about Harata, like Harata's is not guilt. It's not shame. It's sadness. Mm. It's like that really, yeah. And I really feel like that sadness is so motivating. It's so like, we feel this deep sadness and we're moved to change. We're moved to be like, it's I loss. don't want to do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like a grief, you know? Exactly. So, um, yeah, so self-compassion really is the the cornerstone. It's like really having understanding that we didn't have bad intentions. We didn't, we're not bad. We're not, you know, we were doing the best we could, or that we, this is what we thought was good. Or even if we didn't think it was good in the moment, we were really struggling, you know, really understanding ourselves and where we were coming from. I love that. Yeah. I talk about giving our children compassion. So I really just talk about extending that to ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I learned to do it for myself a lot. Also is by giving it to my children. I was like, well, I should do that for myself too. You know? <laughs> uh, okay. now about spouses being on a different page? That is very, very common. I rarely find a, a couple who is entirely on the same page. I mean, we're two different people. How are we going to be on the same page about everything? It doesn't make sense even now, again, obviously are like, uh, degrees of difference, right? Some people can be more or less on the same page, but you know, disagree on some things and some people can be on totally different pages when it comes to parenting. Like, no, I believe in like, mm-hmm. and here's what I, what I like to say. I know that there's this whole idea of like, you need to have a united front and, right, you know, right. okay. I believe that children can understand that this parent does this and this parent does that. They understand that anyway, even right, if you that's try why, Right. Things. That's why they go to Tati if mommy says no. <laughs> exactly. There you go. They, from a very young age, they know what parent does what, like they, <laughs> They're not confused about that. (laughs) But for me, United Front is not about you both doing the exact same thing and pretending that you're always on the same page. It's that you respect each other's way and you don't undermine each other Mm -hmm. in front of each other. Mm. So that your children get the sense of my parents are a unit, meaning they work together. Even though my father might do this and my mother might do that, and they don't do the same thing, I don't see you know my mother telling my father like, "Why are you doing that to the children? Don't do that or whatever." Even though that does happen, that happens to <laughs> me. Don't worry, uh, it happened with me too. But overall, they get the sense that like my parents really support one another in in, in what they're doing, right? And this. It's very hard, especially if, let's say, your spouse does something that you see is so the opposite of what you consider to be beneficial for your children. Mm -hmm. And so, here's where I would recommend a lot of like having conversations outside of the moment, like not when it's happening. And really, just again, going back to empathy, to really listen to, let's say, your spouse is not on the same page, to really take a moment to listen and understand where they're coming from because it's their children too. They love their children too. And a lot of times we come and what do we do? We express, we say, you should do this and you should do that. It's not okay that you're doing this. And there's room for that. But I really like love the idea of saying, like, tell me more about like what happened or why you're doing this. Like, I really want to hear your philosophy and why you think it's important. And you'll hear usually beautiful things underneath that. They'll say like, I really want my children to be responsible. Or I want to make sure that they know that like, there's really good intentions there. Mm-hmm. Right, and a lot of times when you listen, first of all, you understand the beauty, but also then they're much more open to hearing different strategies. Mm-hmm. You'll say, you know, I really want that too for our children. Here's what I think would be more helpful, and I'll tell you why. So first of all, and then also the idea of asking your spouse to empathize with you, of saying like, listen, I don't need you to under to, to agree with me. Can you just listen mm-hmm. to why I this is important to me? Like just listen, and even you can ask your spouse, can you repeat what you heard me say? Mm-hmm. Um, Anytime we want empathy from another person, a simple way to do it is say like, would you mind repeating what you heard me say? Because that's them listening. Now they have, if they're having to reframe it, phrase it, what they heard you say they're then they're actually listening, you know? So um, you can ask them too, to understand. And I find that the back and forth of really trying to understand one another and then explaining why you do it sometimes brings some sort of, you know, agreement or something where you're like, okay, you know, um, and again, bottom line is to agree to disagree and agree to respect one another, like I said, mm-hmm. and then also recognizing like really important, you can't change your spouse, you know, and tr- yeah. yeah, trying to mm-hmm. usually is like a really, a, 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 um, an exercise in futility and also a lot of frustration. So, yeah, so it's like really let go of the idea of like changing your spouse ever. But like I said, you can always understand them and have them understand you, um, but that's it you know and then realize that like you're gonna now some parents will say you know if my spouse is doing something totally different i don't want to do this approach and i always say how sad is that that you know you won't live your integrity or you won't do what really sits well with you because your spouse isn't like that shouldn't hold you back Mm. you do you like you do what sits well with you you do what feels right for you and 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 your children will reap the benefits of that right, you know regardless of what your spouse does amazing yeah. that's great
2: so let's talk a little bit um you know a lot of what we're discussing is seeing beyond the superficial behavior and seeing the root of why and you know our children act the way they do how do we get to that how do we start thinking that way about looking for the root yeah oh my goodness
0: yeah that's really a lot a lot of <laughs> going back to the idea of empathy right um at, at the cornerstone of empathy right so we're listening so that means that we're we're listening more than to the words that the person is saying. Okay, so for example, let's say you say to me, um, "I hate my friends." Let's say you say that to me. If I'm really uh, em- I have empathy, empathizing, then I'm not hearing "I hate my friends." I'm hearing something like something that your friend did is really angering you or hurtful to you. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and what am I talking about when I say that? What we're really listening to is the feeling plus the need that's underneath everything that a person does or says. Okay. So here's where an entire different concept comes into play. This is from Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. Um, And it's, I don't think he came up with this, but he did a lot of my work is inspired by what he shares. Every single person's behavior, whether it's words that they speak or actual behavior that they do is driven by feelings plus needs now feeling and needs really go together meaning you have they're really driven by needs Mm -hmm. put it that way okay needs drive our behavior needs are basically things that are put into us against our will (laughs) Hashem Mm -hmm. just gave us needs whether we like it or not and it's true Mm -hmm. and that will drive our behavior now the if a need is unmet I'll feel okay let's go this way okay one of our needs that we have is for food right Mm -hmm. okay if my need for food is unmet what will I feel hungry exactly now i'll have that feeling of hunger and that hunger will drive me to then seek out food to make myself food go eat etc okay for a child who can't make themselves food it will drive them to be really cranky Mm. and
2: cry. okay candy cabinet
0: (laughs) exactly yeah whatever yeah exactly (laughs) And then okay, so now you see how now if a feeling but if a feeling is met, so if I have if I have need food but my it's met my need for food, then I'll feel satisfied. and then I'll be able to focus that will drive me to be able to focus on meeting other needs like my need for meaning and purpose and contribution, you know
2: mm-hmm.
0: So um we have many different needs. there's a whole list of them that I like really recommend that parents print it and put it on their fridge. That's what I did in the beginning because to start, Really changing your mindset around everything that you see your children do, or all humans really, but specifically your children, to start changing your mindset and to start becoming more curious. What need could possibly be behind this? Now, in our society and in our culture, the only need that we ever assume a child is trying to meet that's driving their behavior is boredom. You know, I don't know <laughs> attention. <laughs> don't you always hear that? Right. It's like they're doing it for att- mm-hmm. uh, people yeah. keep to me all the time. And they're always saying my child just needs it. It seems like they just want attention. I think they want attention. I think they're needing attention. Now attention could be, but that's not always it. There's so many other needs, you are know, you, mm-hmm. are you referencing yeah. like Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Well, ish, he, he does put the needs into a hierarchy, mm-hmm. but I'm just talking about the needs in general. He, mm-hmm. yeah. The needs that he puts there are all needs. Yeah. But he puts them in like, first you need to have the physical needs met and then the emotional, and then you can do like the contribution and the meaning, like the higher, mm-hmm. he he just talks about the, like um, the order of how like you can't focus on contributing to society. If you're hungry. Right. 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 He talks about how like, first you need to have certain things met in order to be, you also need you to have, need to have connection in order to be able to do that. So he just talks about how like they are hierarchical and how one feeds on one right. sort of, yeah. But I'm just talking about the needs in general. Yeah. So, um, where was I with, uh, yes, so our society, mostly attention, but there's so many other needs. Like, like you just said one, boredom. Well, the need for boredom really would be, the feeling of boredom comes from the need for stimulation, Man. right? It would be stimulation, play, um, inclusion, connection. There's so many other things that our children, harmony, order, you know, a sense of equality, mutuality, like there's so many needs that our children have that many times drive their behavior. And when we start becoming more curious, it like, oh, what might be behind this now? It really start, like you said, how do we start? It starts, you start shifting your mindset to the point that right now, honestly, I, when I'm around children or human beings in general, but mostly children, I'm more attuned to children, even children that I don't know, they're strangers. I go to the park with my kids, I go, whatever. And I see children doing something and I automatically, my mind goes to like what they're probably needing. And I, ima- and I wish I can go over to the parent and be like, can I tell you what's going on for your child? <laughs> the parent's looking at it from a very surface level way, which makes so much sense because most of us do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, so it becomes like, it se- starts becoming second nature where you start really uh, not. And again, you don't always know. I don't care if you don't know, as long mm-hmm. as you're guessing. I don't know either. When I watch a child who's a stranger on the street, I don't know. Even my own child, I don't always know. But I'm thinking in that way. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. I'm thinking like, hmm, I wonder if that's what it is. Mm-hmm um so yeah so we start thinking in terms of feelings and needs now our society has shifted a lot where we do talk a lot about feelings now Mm -hmm. but i think we leave the needs out of the conversation Mm. so like you felt really frustrated but when you're frustrated you can't hit and it's like okay but i frustrated because i had a need and tell me how to meet that need Mm. next time because it's not going to help me Mm -hmm. Uh Mm -hmm. you know so there's so much more to talk about with feelings and needs and why um, it's so helpful with this parenting approach, if you understand that to help your children in different scenarios. And actually, should I go now to what you said, if a child hits or kicks or whatever? Sure. Yeah.
2: So you're okay. saying the the root yeah. of behavior is often a lack of need, a need being fulfilled.
0: An unmet need. Unmet yeah, need. Mm-hmm. yeah, and and then when I say that, people sometimes think it means like your child's in pain, and there's like so much. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Like I said, the child could just be bored and looking stimulation, or they could be like looking for e- experimentation or play. It doesn't mean that they're in pain. Okay. It's just that it's driven by behavior, and often yes, often in not improper behavior is driven by an unmet need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's interesting. Yeah. By the way, for adults too, this is the same problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For humans. Yeah. Humans. <laughs> so okay, so let's say a child does, okay, so they're really upset about something and they start hitting you or they start throwing things, right? So what do we do in those situations? So the first thing always is to create safety. So I'll do whatever I need to do to make sure that my child so that they stop doing what they do, right? So if my children hit me, usually what I do is actually hold their hands. Gently just will hold the hand. But I have something very important to add to this. I right away, whenever I do what I do, or let's say they're throwing toys, I take the toy away um, or I sit right in front of them. So, and then I I start talking to them. I, or I remove them and take them outside to talk, whatever it is. But I immediately go straight into empathy. Mm -hmm. If I only hold my child's hands, that will anger them tremendously because it feels like I'm just restricting them and I'm not understanding where they're coming from. And it feels very like, what are you doing? But if I go straight into empathy, And I say something like, you really didn't want me to say no to that, right? And while I'm holding them, then my child, see, empathy um, regulates us. Empathy, right, like I said before, empathy really makes us feel like, ah, like you can relief, a sigh of relief, like you understand me, you get where I'm coming from. It also brings children from mad to sad. Mm -hmm. So anger or hitting is mad, you know, they move straight. Yeah, and children are often moved straight to mad. And when you do the empathy, a lot of times it moves into sad. You'll see a child start crying. Many times this happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're hitting and then you say, oh, you're so, and then suddenly they start crying. Um, so that's what we're trying to do really. So we step in and we stop them. And then we try to empathize. Now, understanding what the need is, is really helpful or tr- being curious about what needs are because that's what empathy is. Hmm. Empathy is seeing the feeling and the need really, that's really at the corner. So that's what I was saying before about when you say, I hate my friend," what you're actually saying is I feel upset because something that my friend did, right? So one of your needs is not, I don't know what it is yet. But I'm I'm hearing that. So same thing when our children do something, we want to start shifting to being like, what are you feeling? Because you need what? Because you need something. Right. And it's it again, like when I share it, I know it can feel overwhelming. It's like what? It's like a whole new world of like mm-hmm. needs and feeling. But you'll see a lot of it is very intuitive because you also have feelings and needs. And so you can really sort of sense what's happening for your child. And a lot of it is context based. Like, if I just told my child, you can't do this. And then they start hitting me. It's like, oh, obviously it's because they really want. Now, what would the need be behind uh, hitting me because I said no to them? It could be a few things. It could be the need for autonomy. I want to have a say over my own life. I hate that you're the one who's deciding this right now. Mm -hmm. Right now, could I give them autonomy in that moment? Not no. necessarily, but I can empathize with the fact that, that that that, and maybe I can also keep in mind that maybe I should give them autonomy in different areas or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it could be the need for autonomy, but also it could be the need for stimulation. Maybe they just wanted to be stimulated, and I'm not giving. Then they want that right now. You understand? It could mm-hmm. be there could be a few things, um, but it doesn't matter. The point is that I'm, I don't always have to know exactly what it is. It's that I'm empathetic. It's that I'm understanding there is something there going on. Is uh, that I'm taking my child's feelings or their experience seriously. So, yeah, so we step in and we stop them and then we go straight into empathy. Hmm. Now, some children get so, this is a whole separate thing about children getting very dysregulated. And I just want to say that there is such a thing as silent empathy. You don't always have to express it with words. Sometimes you can just think it in your mind and your child experiences that from you. Hmm. Meaning that sense
2: of calm that you have.
0: Exactly. And that sense of, yeah, that sense of like attunement. Like I can tell, Uh, like I said, I've sometimes went to people when I felt really sad or upset and they didn't say a word but they were zoned in on, like I could tell they were there with me. Mm you know? So yeah,
1: your children can experience that from you. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Believe me, this has been so nice. Yes. Oh my gosh. I have so much food for thought. <laughs> um, before, yeah. before we, before we, um, as we're like kind of wrapping up, do you have any books or speakers? You mentioned a few, um, people who you mm-hmm. read and you are, you said you're a big reader. Um, uh, what would you recommend our listeners like, you know, um, read or how can they educate themselves
0: on this topic? Besides obviously going to your websites, which mm-hmm. we'll put in the show notes, Yeah. So honestly, I have such a hard time when it comes to recommending books because um, I've, I've learned so much from every single book that I've read, mm. but no one book entirely encompasses everything that I wish it would.
2: Huh. <laughs> That's going to be
0: your book. <laughs> I know everybody tells me that. Everybody tells that I'm like, we don't need another book on the market. Do we do we really, but yeah, but I really don't, I haven't found the book. So like each of them has contributed so much. So unconditional parenting by Alfie Cohen is really great for shifting your mindset around everything that you thought you knew about parenting. Really helpful. Hold on to your kids by Dr. Gordon Newfield is really helpful for understanding attachment, Hmm. like just how important attachment, the role that it plays. It's like really mind blowing. Also, I want to say that, uh, it's a little bit of a heavier read, you know, it's a lot of like, but it's really incredible heavier Um, as in like more like scientific based and terminology and like academic type. Yeah. It's not so academic. I mean, he, he geared it towards like lay people, but, but it is more theoretical, I guess, you know, but he does sheer practical things also. It's just not so much. Yeah. It's not the so light. It's not a light um, read,
2: right? Like okay. sitting by yeah. the
0: beach. <laughs> exactly. Be um, I love
2: those kinds of books, but I know most <laughs> people don't.
0: Um, <laughs> then there's uh, nonviolent communication by Marshall Rose. Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. I've never He's heard of
2: any of these books. I Ever? I, I
0: thought never I knew, knew a decent amount about parenting. Oh, yeah. Okay, keep night. going. Because I mean, keep you going. know why these are not the pop. Because the yeah. popular ones are like I know the popular ones are great, but I find that they don't go deep enough. They don't really give you an understanding as much as I would like parents to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg is a lot of what I talk about feelings and needs. You'll mm-hmm. understand much more about that. Honestly, I have to say though, like his book doesn't do doesn't do it justice that's my personal opinion i yeah like i've taken courses on it and and i've understood it much deeper that way but still i think it's a great start um yeah those are those are the three that really come to mind for me that have been like very transformational in the way that i think about like i think it's really helpful for attachment understanding the unconditionality of parenting and then feelings and needs i think that that's like a Mm -hmm
2: amazing yeah and how did you find these books how did you learn of them
0: oh my so so uh, that's the thing is that one thing led to another so you remember i said i came across parents by the way a lot of it was on facebook so this was mm. like what i don't know seven or eight years ago and yeah. so i i uh, i came across parents who started like sharing this like the relationship is the most important thing and if and i was like yes oh my gosh that makes so much sense let me follow her what did she say like you know and and she would recommend like she would post things that dr gordon newfield said let's say huh. i'd be like oh and then i would hear from people who you know whatever i would one thing led to another where I would like hear about another book and another book. And that's really how I heard about them um, and how I learned about them. Yeah. Uh,
1: you are Awesome. And you are such a gem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know thank this is, this has been incredible. Thank it's you. It's been Absolutely. Yeah. We just want to really thank you for coming on to DMC. Is there any, anything that you want to share before we say goodbye or like this? I mean, you shared so much. I feel like it's like, oh a gosh, I have so much more to share. <laughs> I have so much to say, but there's,
0: there's one thing that's actually sitting with me that I'm like, I really want to finish this. That I really want to say this about, okay. so I was talking before about if your child hits, you stop them and you empathize, but I also want to say, and I mentioned this briefly that, afterwards when you have a moment and you don't have to do this every time but like the idea is for me for I see a huge my role as a parent is to really help my child understand what their need was and help them find other strategies to meet that need because my child was basically what their behavior is like the best thing that they can think of to meet their need in that moment right right. Right? like uh, so they really wanted to be included in a game they didn't know how so they pulled their children's sister's hair they don't, they don't, they don't have great problem solving skills, you know, <laughs> they don't, yeah, they really don't, they don't, because of their brain development, so they usually come up with like very unhelpful strategies, and they also get go to anger really fast, frustration, right. so they'll pull the hair, right, and so um, I want to help my child, and oh, is it that you really wanted to be included, you know, now, I, how to do that is a whole thing about how to understand where your child's coming from, and guess, but it's also a practice, and then my child's like, oh yeah, I did want to be included, so your child starts understanding that, oh, it was a need, and then I say, how else can you be included? And I'll say like, you can ask, can I play with you? Or, And so I'm giving my child the skills for how to navigate their needs in an effective way. And I I always think about like, how wonderful would that be if every single one of us, A, was aware of our needs, (laughs) because I think most people are not. And also that we knew and understood different strategies to meet our needs. Like if we think of us as adults, we do the same thing. I always say like, The three strategies that adults know about how to meet their needs is either to be passive, like be like do nothing and just be miserable and resentful, or be passive aggressive, you know, be like send hints in a way that's like, you know, like, hello, this is my need, do something about it, or be straight up aggressive, yell, you know, be whatever it is. Most of us don't know another strategy of saying like, I have this need, can you meet it or a different way. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love the idea of teaching our children from a young age to recognize their needs and to mm-hmm. express them. Like my child, let's say when I'm busy with uh, f- when friends come over, my my child used to hit me. I would be smoothing with my friend and she would come over. She would just like whack me. Mm-hmm. And um, I started getting curious. You know, I took her to the side. I remember that. And I said, like, yeah, is it, like you really something's really hard about the fact that I'm talking to my friends. Like I was, you know, I said, yeah, it feels like you don't care about me. Mm-hmm. I was like oh wow right now that doesn't mean that I'm going to stop having friends over and stop talking to them but what I am going to do is first of all listen to my child and also help them find a different way to communicate that next time so I said wow I'm so happy you told me that I still get that you feel like so I said so first of all next time when you feel that way what else can you do she says I could tell you that I don't feel like you care about me but I'm embarrassed to say in front of your Mm -hmm, friends mm -hmm, I said okay so can you you can say mommy I want to say something to you and I'll come to you after that that's what she started doing she would just start asking me mommy i want to see something to you and she would come and she would tell me and i would just listen speaking of the power of empathy and mm-hmm. then she would go move on and she would be mm-hmm. fine amazing uh, um, yeah so it's it's so like it, and it's so amazing that a child from a young age would be able to recognize that in themselves and be able to express that uh, you hear what i'm saying absolutely like i just think that it could improve all our relationships if we learned how to do that a hundred percent a hundred percent this
1: is very revolutionary <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, thank you so much. Thank you tremendously for coming on and speaking with us today. And like, I just can't wait for all of our listeners to hear this interview and to take these tools and just to let's increase the power of empathy in the world. I love mm-hmm. it.
0: Thank you. Yeah. And I just want to remind everyone one more time because I know it's very overwhelming. Like, don't worry if you're like so far away from this, mm. it's okay. Like I was too, all of us are a different place in our journey and it's not about like doing it all or whatever. It's take one tiny thing that you heard here and be like, I'm going to focus on yeah. that. That's like great, really, great really great do advice. yourself a lot of grace and a lot of, yeah, like we're only human, you mm-hmm. know? Perfect. And also don't underestimate the power of like one tiny shift. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you're amazing. It has a me. ripple Thank effect. You. Thank you. Thank you so much for your wonderful questions, for giving me the opportunity to share all this. You can see I'm very passionate, right? Such How a nice. pleasure. <laughs>
2: so such an honor to give you the microphone and the spotlight on DMC today. Thank you. Here's this episode's takeaway. In any parenting journey, it's easy to get caught up in the things we need to teach our children, but we need to remember that the relationship is the most important thing. You can't transmit your values without a relationship, and you create that relationship with empathy. Try to be curious about what your child's needs are behind the behavior, and remember to cut yourself slack if, as you're shifting to this way of thinking. Parenting can be tricky, challenging, complicated, but deciding to give yourself some me time and listen to DMC doesn't have to be. <laughs> we love when our listeners tell us that we're the best friends they never knew they had. That's actually a real review that we just got. Yeah, love we that didn't, one. We didn't make that up. <laughs> <laughs> or that we address the topics that are relevant to their lives. If you'd like to let us know what DMC means to you, please rate and review our podcast wherever platform
1: you're listening to this episode now. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to dmc at meaningfulminute.org. We actually do respond to them ourselves. You can also reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Your feedback makes our podcast better, so thank you. Finally, thanks to the crew at Meaningful Minute for everything they do to make DMC happen. See you in the next episode.